Hi, friends. I'm Mandy. And I'm Missy. And we're the Wayward Homesteaders. In this podcast, we will talk about homesteading and homeschooling. We will cover topics like food preservation, gardening, unschooling, and all the things we enjoy doing with our families. Grow with us as we talk about creating a homestead full of poop, plants, permaculture, and everything in between. Hey, everybody. I'm Mandy with Chapel Hill Forge. And I'm Missy with Homesteading Roots. Today, we're going to be doing the fourth installment in our food preservation series. So, so far, we've covered dehydrating and drying in episode one. Um, We did freeze drying in episode two. We did freezing in episode three. Today, we're going to be talking about water bath canning. And then for our fifth and final installment in this series, we'll be doing pressure canning. So that'll be next week. Um, So water bath canning. I feel like that's pretty much the one that everybody starts with if they decide they want to dabble in canning. Um, It sounds a lot less scary to people than pressure canning, um, which I'm here to tell you that pressure canning is not as scary as you think. I put off pressure canning for years before Missy was like, listen, it's not that scary. You just need to do it. And I did. And it was, you know, it, I might prefer it over water bath at this point. Um, But they both absolutely have their place. So Water bath canning is, like I said, it's a little less scary, and it's still on those lines of let's make our own convenience foods. So today we'll talk about the equipment you need for water bath canning. We'll talk about foods that you can and can't water bath. Uh, Missy's going to talk about raw packing versus hot packing. We'll talk about storing the canned goods. Um, And then, yeah, we'll just talk about how that in general creates food security, which has really been the theme of this whole series. So for equipment for water bath canning, if you're thinking about jumping into canning, um, it's definitely cheaper to start with water bath canning than pressure canning. A nice pressure canner. There's cheaper ones out there. The first one that I got was a Miro, I think. There's like Miro, Presto, All American. There's a few brands out there. Um, the Miro that I had was just meh. I didn't love it. It didn't have a gauge, which I know you can't always rely on the gauge. Um, but um, I definitely loved my All American, and it's like four hundred and fifty dollars. We actually share it with my parents. Water bath canning, however, you can buy a cheap canning pot for. I mean, I see them at the thrift store all the time for like five bucks. Um, you basically get the enameled, you know, you have like the black or the blue or the green with the little white speckles. Um, that's what it looks like. It's a big, you know, big kind of pot canner. Um, and they're, they're just so cheap. So you can really get into this for almost nothing. I have several water bath canners. I think I have at least five because whenever I see them, I gather them up because inevitably I don't wipe one out. And after not wiping it out multiple times, they get rust holes and you spring a leak. It's happened to me more than once. Last summer, mom and I were canning and we couldn't figure out why the burner kept going out. And there was a friggin' hole in the bottom of the canner. So that one got retired as a flower pot. Um, so you're going to need your canner and you're going to, you don't have to buy the, the tools kit, but a jar lifter, a lid lifter, the little measurer, um, are, are, and the canning funnel are definitely things that are handy. You definitely need the jar lifter. And I would say you definitely need the funnel. Um, the lid lifter is, is helpful, but you don't have to have it. Um, and the little measure, you don't have to have some people just use a plastic knife. We can talk about why you need that, um, here in a minute. Miss, do you have any other accessories for your water bath canning that you feel like obviously jars and lids and rings? Um, so I found it kind of useful only because I was put in this predicament, um, to have an extra jar lifter because my, the one that I got with my kit or whatever, the screw popped out just as I was lifting jars and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have these hot boiling jars in there. How am I going to get them out? And that was no fun trying to reach in there quickly and grab your jars and get them on the counter. Um, so other than that, that's pretty much what I have. I use a Sharpie to label the tops of my um, lids. And I always set my jars on a towel. Do you do that? I, don't, I, I was always taught to set your jars on the towel because then it like buffers between the, gla- the hot glass hitting the counter. Or like here we have um, granite. So like anything that touches granite just breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always put a towel down to place my hot jars on. Um, other than that, no, I think you touched it all. 
Yeah, the the towel we always so we have like an island in our kitchen. We always put a nice thick bath towel down. Mm-hmm. Um, little side story about why thermal is important when you're doing this. When I first got married to my first husband, I had really never cooked anything ever, um, and I was making I think I made mac and cheese maybe in the oven or something. Um, and I sat my flaming hot Pyrex dish on the cold sink, and it bursts all over the kitchen and it was awful it was such a classic like honeymoon phase early marriage fail so why i tell that story is thermal uh the importance of thermal when your water bath canning matters so you want to have and missy will talk about this a little bit with raw pack hot pack all of that um you need your jars to be warm you need your food to be warm you need your water you know your water's gonna be boiling you need everything to be as close in temperature as possible and we'll talk about that process a little bit but you know while the why the towel is important is like missy said if you have <clears throat> if you have granite countertops or you know i don't even have granite mine is formica or something um it still is cooler than obviously the the jars maybe if you had a wood countertop it wouldn't matter as much um but i would just do a towel just for safety um it really does just help you make sure that you don't have a burst jar after you did all that work um so as far as foods that you can can and can't can um you want to, I always feel like, I guess, speaking of equipment is have the ball canning book. Um, I know some people are like anti book. I can look everything up, whatever. And I hear that, but having the book just right there that you can reference really fast if you need to. Um, because when you're water bath canning time is kind of of the essence, like you can't be messing around with, you know, like I said, everything needs to be hot. So, um, if that's what you're doing with a hot pack, so you, if you have the book right there in front of you, you're ready to go. So you can get the ball canning book. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, you can just get it on Amazon or wherever your favorite, you know, bookstore is or whatever. And um, so it'll have things in there like tomato sauce, applesauce, all kinds of jams and jellies. Um, you can do anything that's pickled, pickled string beans, pickled cucumbers, pickled zucchini, whatever it is that you enjoy, pickled relishes, Um mustards things like that so basically if it's high acid you can water bath can it if it's low acid you can pressure can it there are some exceptions but on the whole that's the rule of thumb so things that i love to water bath can that we do every year um would be peaches pears applesauce um pickled cucumbers salsa tomato sauce um those are things that we jams and jellies we definitely do. So those are ones that you can do every single year. Um, just as a reference point, a jam starts with fruit and a jelly starts with juice. So there are really great ways to not waste juice. Like when you're making applesauce, if you get some juice off because maybe your applesauce is too thin when you're going to can it, um, you know, you get some of that juice off, you can take that apple juice and either can it as apple juice, or you can cook it down and make it into jelly. Um, On the flip side, you could take some of your apples and make them into applesauce, or you can cook them down and make apple butter. Um, So all kinds of things you can do with water bath canning, you can make all kinds of creative jams and jellies. We probably have Oh gosh, I don't know, 15 kinds of jams or jelly on the shelf. We have like pineapple upside down cake and, um, you know, all the normal strawberry, blueberry. We love blueberry lemon and blueberry lime. I know this sounds a little odd. They are probably our favorites. We tried those a few years ago and they are phenomenal. Um, you can do grape jelly. Um, so you can, you know, can up your grapes, save some juice, make some jelly. Um, and we like kind of off the wall things too, like different pepper jellies or pepper mustards, things like that. So if it's high acid, for the most part, you can water bath can it. Miss, what do you guys like to water bath can? So we water bath can applesauce, um, tomatoes, anything high acid. Um, and there's, if you're concerned as to whether, you know, if it's high acid or not, there's little strips, cheap little strips you can buy that you just dip in your, um, liquid or your food or whatever. And it'll tell you whether it's high acid or not. Um, that was always scary to me in the beginning. I'm like, how do I know if this is acidic? How do I not know? You know, so I did do that for a while. Um, 
but our big thing is like is fruit and applesauce and tomatoes like sometimes i'll even um water bath can whole tomatoes because then i'm like okay well if i need it for sauce i'll just puree it and add some seasonings and it's sauce or if i need diced or cubed or whatever you know so sometimes i don't even go through the whole process of canning sauce i'll just can the the whole tomatoes and then use it as i need throughout the year um other than that that's pretty much all we really water bath can we do more pressure canning now i believe yeah we also um pickle beets which i used to totally turn my nose up to beets and my husband's like you don't know what you're missing and i was like meh i think i do um but they're delicious and once we eat the beets we make red beet eggs with them um we could seriously do an entire podcast on things to do with eggs i've been poof i'm bringing in like six or seven dozen eggs a day right now um and i am having to find a multitude of uses for eggs so maybe we'll do a podcast on eggs here shortly but a couple other things when you're canning that if you kind of just want to get yourself started i would say that you could easily get into water bath canning for under I don't know, maybe 20 or $30. It's really not that expensive. Um, as far as your stove goes. So Missy, I think you've always canned on an electric stove, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so in your old house, you guys had the coils in this Mm -hmm. house. I think you have flat top, right? Um, no, we have the coils here. Oh, you have coils there too. So on, um, on a flat top, you can't, there's always this misconception that you can't can on a flat top and you absolutely can. Jessica from Three Rivers Home said she pressure cans and water bath cans on her flat top, um, obviously an electric stove. And again, it, the thermal thing is, is an underlying theme here. As long as you're, you know, if you put your cold canner on your cold stove and everything comes up to temperature together, you're golden. Um, if this makes you nervous and you're worried that it's too heavy or, you know, whatever you could, when Zad and I lived in our house before this one, we would set up propane burners outside and we just did all of our canning outside. We had a really small kitchen. I didn't, I, I hate electric stoves and I hate flat top stoves. We have propane at this house. We just set up our camp stove and we, uh, water bath canned on that. So if you're nervous about water bath canning on your electric stove or your flat top stove that could be an option um you don't have to do it that way Uh, certainly you can can on electric um so some other things that you'd want to have probably on hand if you think you're going to be getting into this is salt lemon juice and or citric acid um sarah at living traditions home said she often adds citric acid i always keep lemon juice on hand i have citric acid on hand too i just I, I always have lemon juice because I buy it in bulk from Sam's Club. Um, as far as salt goes, so the salt conversation is important. Um, you want to make sure that you're using either like Himalayan pink salt or Redmond's real salt or, um, you know, something like that. You don't want to use just table salt. Um, you want to have like a good quality salt. We used to buy, before I knew anything, we used to buy table salt and we still have some. I mean, it has its purposes. I use it to like clean our cast iron skillets or whatever. I'm not just going to throw it away, but we always keep like Redmond's real salt or Himalayan pink salt on hand because I know that I can use it in canning. It's safe for canning. It's going to serve its purpose. Um, when I first started canning, I actually used like just table salt a few times and it does kind of affect the color. Um, so just get some good quality salt to keep on hand. It's not just good for canning but it's just good for your body and it feeds your body a lot more than table salt, which really does nothing for you. Um, Missy, do you use, you use lemon juice or citric acid? Do you have a preferred kind of salt? Um, we use citric acid. I haven't really tried lemon juice yet. And I've been using the Celtic um, sea salt, the gray mm-hmm. Celtic sea salt. Now I buy it from Azure and it comes really coarse. So I break it down a little bit with my, mortar and pestle I always think I'm going to say that wrong (laughs) um I break it down with that and then use that but I mean we that's what we use for our home salt too so I don't I just think it's it benefits us I don't have to buy you know table salt or all that junk so I just buy bulk from Azure and use it for both the other thing I did think of really quickly because this is how my brain works you're going to want to have the rack that goes in Mm. the pot if you get um a canning pot from like a thrift store a lot of times sometimes they come with sometimes they don't so if it doesn't you can use 
like dish rags. We have bar mops that we get from Sam's and you can fold up bar mops and put them on the bottom of your pot of water. Um, you don't want the glass to come in contact with your pot or it will break your jars. So that was another thing that you must have. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and as far as that conversation goes, if you have two racks, um, you can double stack. Um, usually you can only double stack half pints, quarter pints, maybe pints. Um, it, there are different size canners and sometimes you can double stack your pints. Um, that is something I love about my huge pressure canner is I can double stack quarts and that feels very efficient to me because I can do 14 at once. Don't quite have that luxury with water bath canning. Um, as far as jar sizes go, um, so there's quarter pints, half pints, pints, quarts, um, I don't believe, I don't think that there are any recipes, safe food, safe recipes that you can can half gallons that I'm aware of. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I researched this a lot when I was doing grape juice because I was like, oh, a half gallon, that would be fantastic. So we do quarts or smaller. Um, there are like pint and a half. I think that's the size of the quote asparagus jars. Um, so you'd have that option. Um, we, for the most part, can like applesauce, pickled beets, um dill pickles which we do in like strips um peaches we do those in quarts we do um pears salsa relish bread and butter pickles um i know that makes missy cringe she hates sweet pickles (laughs) um we do those in pints and then we do our jams and jellies and mustards in half pints occasionally (laughs) normally this happens at the end of the season because i'm running low on jars because everything's full of food already um i'll throw some jam or jelly in quarter pints um they're like maybe three inches tall um they're nice for gifts so if you are a homemade gift kind of person um they are perfect for that you can just you know write on the top what it is and i feel like you know who doesn't appreciate some homemade jam? And if they don't appreciate homemade jam, they probably shouldn't be your friend, I feel like. Um, so that's uh, that's the jar situation. There are standard lids and wide mouth lids um, or regular lids and wide mouth lids. Um, we have a variety of both. We've just kind of accumulated these over the years. Um, I like to do like peaches in wide mouths because especially if you do halves, um, they are a lot easier to get out than trying to squeeze them out of a a regular size. Um, Other than that, I don't really have a preference on like jar mouth sizes on jars. Um, The, the regular lids are obviously cheaper um, than wide and same with the jars. They're a little bit cheaper. Um, Something nice about a wide mouth is when you're washing it, I feel like a normal person's hand fits in a wide mouth jar, which is an annoying thing about regular is I feel like you got to bust out the bottle brush to get the (laughs) schmutz out of the middle of those. Um, So some things that you cannot um, water bath can. So meat, obviously there is not acidity happening. So you, you can't uh, water bath can meat. Um, you have to pressure can like beans. That's something that you can't water bath can. For the most part, if it's like a meal in a jar kind of scenario, it has to be pressure canned. You can't water bath can it. Um, I know I'm going to have some people, especially in our community, there are a lot of Amish that water bath can meats and meals and everything. They don't pressure can anything. Our neighbors are one of those people and that's fine. That works for them. I would not um, condone that type of activity but to each their own go do what you want um i pretty much follow food safety guidelines the ball guidelines you know as far as food safety goes because you cannot see or smell botulism so if you open up a jar and you're like oh this smells lovely and you water bath canned your meat and it has botulism in it you're not going to know until someone is violently ill so i recommend following food safety guidelines as far as that goes Um, so in my mind, for the most part, things that come out of the garden, at least throughout the summer for me are mostly all water bath cans. So, um, if we're talking about like seasons, I feel like spring, summer, fall, I'm pretty much doing water bath canning. And in winter I pressure can, that's not to say I don't do any of the other in the other seasons, but like in the winter time for me, I'm pressure canning my meats and my beans and making space for the stuff that's going to be coming in 
over the winter because, you know, there's a lot less going on. There's not things growing in the garden and whatever. We're not spending as much time outside. Um, For the other three seasons, obviously, the garden is bursting. So that's usually reserved for water bath canning for us. Um, So, Miss, why don't we talk a little bit about raw pack, hot pack, thermals, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, This was always confusing to me when I started canning and I just couldn't get over I couldn't make it under like understandable in my brain, the difference between raw, they call it raw or cold packing and hot packing. So basically raw or cold packing, it's just your food is washed, peeled, cut. It's not blanched. It's not pre-cooked or anything. You put that into your jars, pack it down as tight as you can. And then you would pour boiling liquid on top of that. So then you would put it into your water bath canner and process it. Um, Hot packing is like freshly boiled, prepared food. Let it simmer for a few minutes. You'll put it straight into the jar um, with, uh, it'll be the food and the liquid in, and they'll both be hot. Now you get to the concern of, okay, am I going to crack my jars? When you're cold packing, you want to have the water in your water bath canner to be warm because obviously you're taking cold food and you're going to be putting it in a jar and then putting the glass in the water. You don't want it to be boiling or you will crack your jars. Hot packing, um, you can definitely put it in hotter water. Um, you want to kind of keep the temperatures as much as the same as you can because you don't want that shock and then losing everything that you just processed. Um, the cold packing is used for pressure canning. Um, hot packing is used for water bath canning. Sometimes in recipes, you'll be given the option. If you're ever given the option, go with the pressure canning just because you're going to be 100% safe with that as far as, you know, raw packing and doing everything cold because your food is going to be cooked prior to it going into the jar. One of the things you'll have to realize, too, is that cold or raw packed food holds more air than hot packed food. So when you're packing your jars, you want to pack them tightly because as you're going through the process of canning it and sealing, it's going to cook and then it's going to pull that air out. So when you pull it out of the water bath canner and let it cool, it's going to shrink down. And sometimes you'll see where like your food has um, gone above the water, which is, they say is totally fine. Um, that to me also was like, oh gosh, my liquid is not covering my food. I didn't do this right. But everything I researched has said, that's totally fine. Um, you do want to keep the headspace. you know, you'll have, if you buy the kit, you get this little, what do they call it? Like a bubble extruding. Yeah, I was trying to remember what it was called. And the headspace will be noted in, like if you have the bubbles, yeah. it's noted in your recipe. So it's usually quarter inch or half inch. Yeah. Um, and you'll get one of those. And you can kind of like pack things down. And then it'll also, on the end of it, has a little measure to tell you like half inch headspace, one inch headspace. You do want to follow that when you're packing your foods in. Um, I guess the main thing with me is to follow follow the recipe. I don't find i haven't found success with anyone who has canned making their own recipes um if it specifically says raw pack or hot pack i would raw pack or hot pack whatever it says if it gives you an option i would definitely go with the pressure canning um the hot pack method just because you're going to be safer you know in the long run like what mandy said with botulism you can't you can't smell it, you can't taste it, and it could be deadly. So it's something that I don't want to mess around with and I don't want to subject my family to or friends that I'm giving stuff to. So it's definitely worth taking the extra steps and precaution to do that, um, you know, to just guarantee your safety. And you don't want to waste the food or the food that you've just spent money on, you know, going bad. So basically the only difference is um, raw pack, cold pack doing it um that way is you know you just have to worry about your jars cracking and make sure that your water is basically the same temperature as your jars hot pack canning you can put it in um you can put it in right in hot water um hot pack is a good way to preserve fruits and vegetables 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 right out of your backyard um it's easy to just come in you know throw them in a pot throw them 
you know, if it's fruit, you can make a syrup, boil it all together, and then transfer it into your jars and process it that way. It's not as as intimidating as it seems once you like get into the process and start doing it. But if you sit back and like, oh my gosh, this sounds ridiculous, it can get very overwhelming and has led a lot of people to not even want to take up canning because it could be I know it is scary. And Mandy and I have many of things, freeze drying, pressure canning, what else? Even pressure cooking for the longest time. We're like, oh my gosh, this just seems like a crazy thing that we're going to explode our house Mm -hmm. or we're going to make our family sick. And we put it off doing it. And then we finally were just like, look, you know, what's the worst that can happen, you know, besides botulism. But, (laughs) (laughs) and we just did it. And now we're like, oh my gosh, why did I waste all this time worrying about it? Like you just got to get in there and do it. And there's, there's some books that we'll link um, that we both follow and we follow to a T just because I feel like they're tried and true recipes that um, the science that goes behind them and all of that, it's worth it to, you know, for the safety for our family. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and as you were talking about that, I was thinking like next steps, like, okay, once you've conquered your fear or maybe it wasn't fear you just haven't done it before um once you get past that point like what are some other tools that would make your canning experience more enjoyable because it is uh less work so i um in the summertime like i said i always make sure in bulk i have lemon juice or citric acid salt um you want to make sure that you have vinegar like i buy vinegar by like the four pack case at like our local restaurant store um And I always make sure I have a few cases of that on hand because we love pickled all things. And so vinegar, we go through vinegar like mad in the summer. Um, I also want to note that sugar and salt are not, um, they don't affect food safety. So they're merely for taste. You don't have to have them in there. A lot of times you'll see jam recipes. They have an insane amount of sugar. Um, And I'm not just saying this because I'm now like post heart attack, healthier lifestyle, whatever. Even before we changed our entire lifestyle, I always thought the sugar was insane. So um, Jessica, again, we always we talk about her because we love her. Um, (laughs) So from Three Rivers Homestead, she does Pomona's pectin. So that's like it has a separate um, cookbook and it's it basically allows you to use. So it's this different kind of pectin and allows you to use less sugar. Um, I have not played with Pomona's pectin yet, but what we typically do is I just cook my jam a little bit longer until it's the consistency that I want. Um, or we simply just sometimes have a thinner jam, but it's still great for pancakes. It's still fine on toast. Like, you know, whatever. I'm not snooty about the consistency of my jams and jellies. I really don't care. Um, as long as it's food safe and it tastes good, why does it matter? That's just my opinion. Um, but we always cut the, the sugar that's called for in the ball book. Um, I always cut it by, man, at least half. Sometimes I only use like a quarter of what it calls for because most of the stuff is already sweet. Like, why do I need to sweeten strawberries? Um, and I realize the sugar is there for consistency. Like, I'm not dumb. I realize that's why it's there. But again, it doesn't really matter to us if it's a little bit thinner. Um, so that's, yeah. So notes on sugar and salt. Um, a couple tools then that would make your life easier if you're really going to dive in is uh, a food mill. So we have a Victoria strainer and it's like, I think my mother-in-law bought it in like 95. So it's like seven years younger than me, um, eight years younger than me. And, but it is phenomenal. So when we make applesauce, um, tomato sauce, anything like that, we run it through the food mill. And basically what it does is it separates, there's a shoot for the good stuff and a shoot for the, the scrap. So, um, basically you drop your food down in you crank it uh, the stuff goes to its appropriate location it makes the most phenomenal applesauce so like when we make applesauce we have a big old roaster this is one of those things that'll make your life easier if you get a big old roaster or a huge crock pot or whatever um we literally cut our apples in half throw them in the crock pot throw them in the roaster whatever we're using um and then as soon as they're soft they go in the food mill we have applesauce we can it or freeze it whichever whatever's happening that day um And it just saves you so much time. And then all of the apple scrap uh, goes to the chickens. So, you know, no waste as usual. 
Um, so applesauce is so easy. If you were going to start with something, I'd totally encourage you to start with applesauce. My least favorite thing, just on this note to can, is peaches. <laughs> I love peaches. They are delicious. I'm always happy they're on the shelf, but it's their time consuming. I know a lot of people say they drop them in like a, a sink of hot water or whatever, and their skins will peel off. I have never quite had such luck. No. No. Even tomatoes. Like no. I... Oh, my God. Remember when Jeremy and I stood at the kitchen <laughs> sink and peeled tomatoes for days? So romantic. Oh, good God. It was so <laughs> ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Anyway, I have found a better way to do tomatoes on that note. Since then, I have adopted Sarah from Living Traditions Homestead. I have adopted her method um, for tomatoes. So, again, she just throws them all in the roaster. I think she might put a little split in them. I can't remember. Throw them in the roaster. They cook down. You take a ladle. Drain off your juice. So you're getting tomato juice. You're getting two things, two for one money. You're getting your juice out of there, and it's thickening your tomato sauce. And then I I don't take anything out. I think she might cut her tops out. Um Maybe that's what she does. She doesn't split them. She cuts her tops out. Sometimes I'll cut my tops out. It depends on if I have the time today or I have the time tomorrow. Um, if I don't cut the tops out, I might run it through the food mill. Um, or if I cut the tops out, there's really no reason to mill it. Everything, you can just use everything that's there. Um, I love that method. It really helps you control the thickness of your tomato sauce. And we wind up getting juice. And then we can use that juice to make tomato soup or whatever. Um, so that's a really simple way to do your tomato sauce and your applesauce. And if you have a roaster and a food mill, you're going to save yourself a lot of time and frustration. Um, two other things that we always have is a V slicer or a mandolin when we're making pickles it, or you need to do up your onions or whatever. Super simple to just run them over the V slicer and, or the mandolin and you have just consistently thick slices. Um, when we do pickles, we always drag out all of our coolers. We have, oh, I don't know, 15 coolers probably <laughs> because we find them along River Road and we just throw them in our pile. Um, so we'll, we'll drag out all of our 50 million coolers and we'll layer salt. We do ice, salt, layer of cucumbers and onions repeat 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 and then we'll leave those on ice usually overnight eight to 12 hours whatever and then that in my experience is the secret to keeping them crispy so um that has always worked for us at for pickles we have had pickles that we just didn't get to like they got to be like two or three years old um and i know some people are like oh you have to eat it in 18 months i call bs on that i've eaten plenty of things way after and they were fine um we were fine so if you wind up getting pickles that are too soft maybe you didn't soak them long enough it just was like a different kind of cucumber that didn't work out um throw it in your if you have like a chopper of some sort or you could pulse it on your food processor and make relish like don't waste it you know you can throw it in there and make some relish um if you ever get to the point where like you canned a bunch of stuff and you're just like, we don't like this. Like it has sat on the shelf the whole year. We've eaten one or two. We just don't like it. You were experimenting with different things. Throw it to the chickens, throw it to the pigs. You know, you can put it in the compost. There's no reason to waste it. And you're going to have some trial and error. Like if you're especially just getting into this, you're going to have some trial and error with figuring out what your family likes and doesn't like and whatever. Um, last thing, and I only got this last year and it is a fantastic tool to have in your arsenal is a steam juicer. Do you have a steam juicer, miss? I do not. Oh, we'll have to play with that. So steam juicer I used last year for grapes. My mother-in-law recommended it to me. She actually got it for us as a gift. Um, I guess when Zad was a kid, they had uh, an apple tree and they had grapevine. So that was two things that they always canned as kids. I think he said that's really all they did just because that's what was in the yard. Um, so the steam juicer, you put the grapes in the top, it creates steam, all the juice goes to the bottom, you use the handy little spout, and it literally makes the grape juice. It is fantastic. It is phenomenal. <laughs> uh, it is like one of my favorite tools. Um, so I'll link all those, all those little tools, I'll link in the show notes and in the blog that I do following this episode so that you guys can check all that stuff out. Any other tools, Missy, that you're like, you don't have to have this, but it does make life easier? Um, I would think, like you said, I know the, the slicer, we have that eight blade vegetable slicer, chopper thing, dicer, yeah. um, that, oh my gosh, has saved so much time. It has the little compartment in the bottom. You just sit the, 
um, piece of food on the top, slam down the lid, it pushes it through and chops it. Um, I do have a spiralizer. I actually have not used it yet. Um, people sometimes spiralize their like vegetables or fruits and then can them that way. I, I don't know. I have one, but I haven't used it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have my grandmother's applesauce maker where it's like the pointed funnel and you have the wooden yeah, um, I have one of those too. I found it at the thrift store. Oh my gosh, I love that thing. It, it's it's fantastic, and it just—I don't know—the wood in the musher thing just—I don't know—it speaks to my soul. It's like Hits this is my your sensories. Yes, it's like this was my grandmother's, and now I'm making applesauce with it. And she, my grandmother, used to make the best applesauce, and I still to this day don't know how. Every time she made applesauce, it always had a pink tinge to it. And my mom says it's the kind of apples. Yeah. Well, I've tried every kind of apple and I don't get the pink tint. I bet which... it was a combination that no one ever is going to know now. <laughs> right. And I didn't have her write it down before she passed. God rest her soul. But, oh my God, I love that thing. Um, my mom, we used it with my mom. And I only just recently found out that if you spin the actual funnel, it like the legs of the holder is what scrapes the outside of the funnel. You know how many times I've sat there with a butter knife trying to scrape down applesauce. Yeah. All you do is spin it. You spin it to the right or to the left and it, those little legs scrape everything off the edge. Oh my um, gosh. Fantastic. Um, yeah, they're pretty much all that I use every now and then I'll use my blender. If I'm going to do tomato sauce, I'll blend my tomatoes up prior. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, and that's just a preference thing. Like, if yeah. you want it thin, uh, not thin, but, like, uh, smooth, right. then that's perfect. Um, if you don't mind chunky, then that works, too. The chopper that Missy's talking about, I'll link that, too, in the show notes, because we actually just got one of those. Um So a note on making relish, if your family likes, you know, pickled relish or, uh, you know, you can make it from cucumbers or uh, zucchini or whatever. Um we have found that putting it in the food processor with just the normal blade, you're basically going to get pickle water. Um, it's, it's not the consistency you're going to want. Um, the chopper that Missy's talking about um, is fantastic for making relish. Um, it keeps them like nice little chunks. Like you really get the consistency that you want. Um, so make sure you have pickling spices on hand too. If you're going to go down this rabbit hole, pickling spices, um, we, you can make your own, of course. Um, we get the big bottle. I don't even know what you call it, jug of pickling spices again from the restaurant store and it's perfect. And I always have it on hand. There's just so many things that you can just throw pickling spices into and, um, you know, you don't, you're not sitting there like trying to combine. I mean, I'm all about making my own seasonings, but in canning season, I just need to like pull out the jug, throw in the things and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So basically we'll run through the process quick. So when you decide, okay, I'm going to do, let's say you're going to do pickled beets, for instance. So you're going to peel your beets, slice your beets to, you know, I don't know. I do like a quarter inch half inch whatever thickness that you want it doesn't really matter um quarter inch is probably better um you're gonna slice them all up obviously you're gonna like wash your beets when they come in and keep everything as sterile as possible um your jars you're gonna want to sterilize your jars. so um how do you sterilize your jars do you just wash my hand you come in the dishwasher we do the dishwasher we have our dishwasher has a sterilizing setting so that's yeah. what, how i do it yeah so some people do that um some people drop the empty jars in the canner the boiling water you know is already going and they drop them in and they do it that way some people just run hot water in them and let them sit with the hot water and warm them up whatever you need to do to get everything as close to temperature as possible um that's what i was going to say too. red rose homestead who missy has referenced before on youtube she has a great video about thermals and like, if you get a crack that's this shape or this direction, like that's why, you know, the reason that this happened is fill in the blank. So if you have a thermal break, basically the bottom of the jar is going to fall out and you will know as the worst noise when you drop it in the canner and you hear a little pop, you know that you busted one and that you are going to be spilling relish all throughout your canner and it's going to be, a fantastic cleanup. So if you hear that, so basically the whole bottom just falls out, but then there's other kinds of cracks like down the side. Maybe it means that like you had a weak spot in your jar. So you're going to sterilize your jars. However, whatever process you want to do for that. Um, the best way I feel like to make sure that your jar is good is just literally just pick it up and look at it. Do you see any cracks? Does anything look weak? If so, just use it for dry storage or whatever. Um, 
and then you want to run your finger across the rim of the jar feel for cracks because a lot of times if you just look over see so you have 20 jars on your counter and you just look at them quick you might miss a tiny crack in that and that could cause your seal to either not go at all or you know it goes like next week and it's been sitting on the shelf and you don't know or whatever well, that bacteria is happening so just run your finger across the top if it's got a little crack in it set that one aside that one's not for canning that one's for dry storage or just you know leftovers or whatever um so you got your sterilized jars you check for cracks you got your your beets are all peeled and all of that um so beets you what i typically do is i fill the jar with the beets and then i have a hot brine going on the stove so for pickled beets you could do like hot vinegar there's a recipe in the ball book but something like hot vinegar and you could do pickling spices or if you want to do um, some kind of other variation on it or whatever, you can look up a, a food safe recipe for that. So then I just pour my super hot vinegar brine over the beets. You're going to do you sterilize your lids. I don't. I know. I hate this question. <laughs> I know. I don't. I, I mean, hmm. Yeah. Whatever. We're still alive, but I don't. I know. Okay. So my mom always grew up, my grandmother canned all the time, water bath canned. I don't think she pressure canned. Um, and she would heat her lids. So she'd have like a little pot on the stove. She would heat her lids, use her lid lifter, get it out, put it on top, whatever. Um, I used to all the time, I would say it's 50, 50. It, from what I feel like I've gathered, you don't have to, they're not recommending that you have to anymore. Um, so I don't. And I feel like all the YouTubers I follow that can consistently don't either. Right. Um, so you don't have to warm up your lids, but you're going to put your lid on top, put your ring on. You're going to do it just hand tight. So basically you put like two or three fingers on there. You're going to hand tight. Don't crank it down or anything. Don't make it too loose. It's going to pop off. Just hand tighten it. Um, and then you're going to, this is where you really need to be moving. So you need to, you got your hot water going, you got your hot brine, your hot jar, you want to get everything packed up and then get that right in the canner. And you just got to get this process. Like you got to be focused when you're doing this one, because you know, something happens with the kid in the living room, you wander off and do that. And all your stuff is cold and that's the worst. Mm -hmm. So try to, you know, just focus on this part of the procedure. So you're going to get them in your canner, sit them on your rack. I typically keep my rack down when I'm loading and then I pull it up to unload. It maybe just depends what I'm canning. Um, if it's quartz, I might just leave the rack down the whole time. There's little notches on the side of your rack that you can kind of gently balance it on your, on your canner. I don't do that too often because I feel like I'm just playing Russian roulette with breaking a jar. <laughs> um, so I'm not a fan of that little procedure. Um, but anyway, so you're going to drop them down in your ball book. will tell you like um, process pints for 15 minutes and quarts for 30 or whatever the procedure is. Um, so you're going to drop those down in run the time. Um, you want to make sure your water is boiling. You don't start your timer until the water is boiling. So a lot of times when you drop your jars in, it might stop boiling for a few minutes. You don't want to start your timer until the water starts boiling. Um, if you're off by like a minute or two, it'll be fine. But that's, that's what I do. And then when the timer goes off, pull the lid off, pull your jars out, sit them on your towel on the counter, and then just wait to hear that glorious pop sound and then move on to the next round. Um, so that's kind of the process. Anything I missed, Missy? Um, I guess just make sure that the water in your canner is covering your jars, which right. is completely yeah. different from pressure canning. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, you want that boiling water over top of your jars. And I guess lids, we didn't really touch much on lids. Um, mm -hmm. You do not want to reuse your lids. You can reuse your bands. Um, I save my used lids for, like Mandy said, dry storage or, you know, just herbs or whatever, um, throw leftovers in the fridge in it. But, um, yes, you do not want to, to reuse the lids. You can reuse the jar or the bands. Um, and one way that I check for cracks is I always take white vinegar on like a towel or <laughs> paper towel or something. And I, I use that to rub the tops of my jars before I put the lid on. And then that helps me, you know, one kill bacteria and to check for any little tiny dings that I may have missed. Um, yeah. Other than that, I think you touched pretty much all of it. Yeah. Wiping the seal is important, especially if, if you're doing like pickles, I feel like that's, you should still wipe it, but it's a less risk of it getting sticky, but applesauce, peaches, 
scrapes, anything like that that makes a big old sticky mess, you definitely want to make sure because that'll prevent it from sealing. Once you hear all the pops, they're sitting on the towel, you know, you hear all the pops. I always let my stuff sit 24 hours, give or take. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just run my finger across and just make sure you'll know that it's sealed when the lid is, you can't pop it. Like if you push your finger on it, you hear the poppy noise. It didn't seal. Those need to go in the fridge and you just eat those, you know, first. Um, If they're sealed, then if there's any residue or anything, I'll wipe the outside of the jar um, and then just write on the top what it is. I always write, usually I just write the year. Um, yeah. I can tell by what it is approximately what month I did it in. Like if it's cucumbers, I probably did them in July or August. You know, if it's applesauce, I probably did it in September or October. Um, so I usually just write the year on top and then they get loaded on the shelf for us to eat. And um Let's see. So as far as storing it goes, kind of the same procedure as your dry storage that we talked about with um, freeze drying or dehydrating. Um, You know, you just want to have a cool-ish dry Mm -hmm. place. Um, I guess dry isn't, you know, if you have some humidity in your basement or whatever, I don't know that that's really so bad. We have dehumidifiers in either side of our basement. Um, just in general, but, um, you know, you don't want it to be out in your garage. If your garage is getting to a hundred degrees in the summertime, that's really not going to be good for them. Obviously you don't want them to freeze. So if your basement or your garage gets super cold, you know, that's not going to be good. So you just want to find that middle range. I feel like safely 50 to 70 is probably ideal for these things, which for us, like our basement is, even on the hottest days or the coldest days, probably generally in that range all the time. Um, And we just, this is important. You just want to make sure you have sturdy shelves because nothing is worse than like, Mm. get this shelf, you start loading it up and it starts dipping in the middle or things start like clinging together. And like, that is the worst. Or you have a rickety shelf and it falls over. Like what a hot mess. Just invest in some really good shelves. We get the, and if you can't invest in really good shelves, get some boxes, store them under the bed or somewhere where they're not going to fall. Um, we buy like the nice industrial shelves from, uh, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot, restaurant store, things like that. The ones with like the nice metal um, kind of uprights or whatever. And then if they don't have, you know, some shelves come with like a piece of fiberboard or whatever. Um, if they don't have something like that, I personally would either get some acrylic cut or cut a piece of plywood or something. Cause if it has like the ridges every or whatever, like the rungs that gets so annoying. Cause you're trying to balance your jars. One's kind of tipping one's going forward. One's going back. It's super annoying. So I would add something to your shelves, a, a piece of plywood, a piece of acrylic, some piece of scrap wood, whatever to have just a nice flat surface and the security that unless there's like an earthquake, they're probably not going anywhere. And you don't want to double stack your jars. Like you don't right. want to stack a jar on top of another jar because that um, could mess with the seal. Um, you don't, you're not supposed to store your jars with the bands on because, right. you know, if one didn't have a good seal or didn't seal fully, um, it kind of makes you think it's okay, but it could be you know, not sealed and it's been sitting on your shelf and whatever. So you're supposed to take the, the bands off when you store yeah, that's something that I actually did not know. Uh, so I probably started canning, gosh, I was pregnant with Bud. So probably 13 years ago, my mom uh, would come over and we would make, you know, pickles and applesauce and things like that. Um, and I did not know about storing without bands. And Zad and I watched this guy on YouTube, I don't know, probably two, it was during COVID. So probably like two years ago. Um, and he was just talking about the whole science behind not leaving your bands on. And I'm like, wow, this would really save me, you know, having to buy more bands. So I never buy, I haven't bought rings for years um, Mm -hmm. because I would just rotate them around. Um, Something I wanted to note too, is if you live uh, where we live and maybe where you are too, um, there are, you know, especially at the Amish stores, you can buy sleeves of lids. So um, like here we have Fillmore Container. Um, basically they sell like bottling supplies and things like that. They sell lids in sleeves. The Amish store sell them in sleeves. You can buy the little boxes. Um, and they're fine. They tend to be more expensive. It seems man, since COVID the price of lids has just gone sky high. Um, so I try to buy them in bulk as much as I can. 
And so the ball lids, a lot of people have like a, a preference on lids and what kind they like and don't like. There's this pure brand, P-U-R. Have you seen those? Yes. Like the white pack. So I got a pack at the hardware store because I started seeing these during COVID. Like when there was a ball lid shortage or Kerr or the other one golden harvest or whatever when you couldn't find those these pure lids started popping up now i think they're made in china which obviously i don't love but when there's no other lids to be had you know i tried them they were fine i didn't have any that didn't seal i haven't had any unseal while they were sitting on the shelf um so i am not particularly brand snotty about my lids are you I'm not, no, um, and I just recently, when there was the shortage, I bought a bunch of the Tatler reusable yes. um, bands and lids. I have not used them yet, so stay tuned. I will be doing that, um, and maybe we could do a podcast or even a review or something about them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm not I'm not real picky, and I haven't, over COVID, you almost couldn't, couldn't be. Yeah. Mom and Dad bought the Tatler lids. There's another brand, too. Yeah. Um, can't remember what it is but uh the reusable ones and i think that we tested a few and they were fine we haven't used them like for anything that's stored on the shelf yet they were kind of our like shit hit the fan yeah um just i don't know i this is probably just another thing i just need to get over myself and learn it and move Mm -hmm. along right um and i will eventually when i can't find lids anymore um so yeah that that is an option too if you want to re you know have a reusable option i think you can reuse them is it two or three times at least? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's something like that. So that can be something you could look into too. And I can link <clears throat> I can link those in the show notes too that you can check those out. So I think that pretty much covers all the points of water bath canning. Mm-hmm. Um, so next week we will talk about pressure canning. There's a lot of differences with pressure canning. Missy touched on a few like water levels and, you know, things like that. So pressure canning is really fun. You can really make, I mean, you can definitely make convenience foods with your water bath canner, but you can really step your homemade convenience food game up with a pressure canner. You can pressure can meals, chili and meats and all kinds of things, free up freezer space like crazy. Um, So that'll be really interesting. If you have, already tackled water bath canning and all of this was kind of old news to you, or maybe you learned a thing or two. Um, and you want to take that step into pressure canning. Um, for me, pressure canning and freeze drying and water bath canning, like those are my top, you know, they're my top go-to. I, I use all the methods, but those are probably my top three. Um, I'm just really digging pressure canning, especially right now. Like I need to make space in my freezers for these birds I got coming in here, like, you know, in the next couple months. So, um, it's, it's a great go-to. So tune in next week. We'll talk about pressure canning and how it's not as scary as you think it might be. Um, yeah. Anything else, miss? No, I think we pretty much touched it. If there's any questions, reach out and we'll be happy. If we don't know the answer, we'll research it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put all the links into the important things. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Um, I'm blogging about the podcast, usually in the day or two or so after the podcast. So if you need any extra info or whatever, I'll have the notes in my blog. Um, You can always reach out to Missy at homesteadingroots.com or to me at tropicalforge.com. We also have a Facebook group, The Wayward Homesteaders. So you can connect with us on there. That's been an awesome community. We've had a lot of great conversations this week we talked about seed companies and um you know lemon balm and tinctures and just all kinds of cool things you know just uh, i don't really want to go to google i really want some real life advice kind of that's just the kind of community that we've built there so um you can check us out there on facebook and obviously missy and i are on instagram zad and i are on youtube um so you can check out those things and then we will see you next week to talk about pressure canning so have a good week guys bye friends